Do you find that that happens a lot? That when people find out that you're into verb watching, it's like they want to know everything about Actually, it? Actually, it's the opposite. When they find out you're a bird watcher, they don't know what to say. They, don't, they, don't <laughs> they just turn around and walk away from you. Yeah. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. The episode you're about to hear is very near and dear to my heart for a couple of reasons. One is that it is the first episode that I ever recorded. So heading into this episode, I was incredibly nervous and incredibly excited, but the woman who I interviewed, Lisa Myers, was so sweet and so informative and just made the whole process really easy on me. So thank you, Lisa, for that. Um, The second is that it really showed me the power of interviewing somebody about a passion of theirs. It kind of makes the world just seem a little bit smaller, a little bit brighter, and a little bit more interesting of a place all at once. I knew absolutely nothing about bird watching heading into this interview. And if you were to ask me what types of people I would have thought were into bird watching, my answer prior to the interview would have been so different than it was afterwards. And this is such a cool, cool, awesome hobby that I feel so fortunate to have learned about. So I'm really excited to share it all with you. In the episode, you will learn what bird watching is, what the different types of bird watching are, um, how much it would cost to get started bird watching, what are the tools necessary to get started, and uh, and then different experiences that Lisa's had while bird watching. Um, In the episode, you will sometimes hear a parrot chiming in in the background. That is Lisa's parrot. Hopefully, that's not too bothersome. As well, you can go to halfhourintern.com and look up any show notes or links that we mentioned during the episode. Without further ado, here is bird watching. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time for being here with us today. You're welcome. I, I, pleasure. So I have to tell you, I it's funny, when I came up with this idea for Half Hour Intern, I wrote up this big list of all the different people whose jobs I wanted to interview them about and people whose hobbies I wanted to interview them about. And bird watching is the second thing that I came up with on my list of hobbies. And it's funny because the entire rest of my top 10 lists are all these really obscure, crazy hobbies that I figured that people would really want to know about. But bird watching was just automatically at the top of my head. And I think that there's really something about bird watching. Like if, if for instance, if somebody had a hobby of surfing or playing an instrument or something like that, if you meet someone like that <clears throat> when you're out, and they say, oh, yeah, I surf. It's just like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Or, oh, I play guitar. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. But I feel like if you're talking to somebody and they say, oh, I, I do bird watching, it's like, wait, I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of meat on that bone to ask questions about. Do you find that that happens a lot? That when people find out that you're into bird watching, it's like they want to know everything about Actually, it? Actually, it's the opposite. When they find out you're a bird watcher, they don't know what to say. They don't. They, don't <laughs> they just turn around and walk away from you. Yeah, they don't. They. Um, I remember meeting a, a fly fisherman, and he couldn't believe that we actually stopped to look at birds. So the conversation ended. But then he shared with us every hole he had stopped to fish in on his road trip through the states. He told us what rods he used, what hooks he used, what bait he used. 
um, how many minutes he was at each pond. So it was interesting because he had everything about fly fishing, but when he found out that I was a bird watcher, he just didn't know what to say to me. Yeah. And it ended the conversation. Yeah. So sometimes I think because birds often, um, people don't really, they've never taken the time to understand the birds in their yard or the birds out and about. Um, they don't know what to ask. They don't know what it is. So I think you just contrasted with the perfect thing. And this is something that I've thought about the last couple of days since I knew I was going to be coming here interviewing you, which is somebody, I I feel like kind of the most common, uh, like terrible kind of mocking question that would come up for people talking to somebody who's bird watching is like, oh, that's so boring. Or what's Mm -hmm. the deal with that? Only old people do it. (laughs) Yeah. And that is the perfect uh person to bring up is somebody that does fly fishing because i mean fly fishing or any form of fishing for that matter you just have to stand there freaking mm-hmm. forever while you're waiting for a fish to bite right and yet if someone's fishing that's just seen as totally normal and yes. it's like oh you you look at birds all, you sit there and you wait for a bird like right. what a weirdo i can't believe you this sit there and true. wait for a bird which this is so true. strange so um first of all why don't you tell us exactly what bird watching is okay. i know that i guess there's a couple of different types of bird watching if you can go over those okay. um and then we'll take it from there well and your story is very true i i still don't understand quite why the sciences have um gotten such a bad rap when it comes to uh saying you're into bird watching compared to somebody that like you used is into surfing um, I, I don't quite get it. It goes all the way back into high school and in grammar school. And when you look at the uh, models of bird watchers on TV through the generations, usually the stereotypical bird watcher, whether it's on a on a skit on Saturday Night Live or the Beverly Hillbillies, I forget one of the characters in that show was a bird watcher. It's always this really terribly dressed, geeky, awkward, <laughs> scientific, yeah, high, you know, personality. Yeah. Um, so. I'm hoping that, and the birding world knows this, and so we're hoping that maybe one day we can break through that image. Um, um, it'd be really nice if, if the, the personalities that are on TV, in the news, if we could just get them to be seen with a pair of binoculars somewhere, that would yeah. really help break that stereotype. But when it comes to what a bird watcher is, um, it really just comes down to taking the time to appreciate birds. There are almost 10,000 species of birds in the world. And so you have the people that it's their goal to go out and find as many birds as they can. It's called their life list in their life before they, they can't travel anymore. And so that's a competition within themselves, just like you have people that, that hike the top of mountains. You have people that... Um, um, have a list of all the beers that they want to drink all the beers that they want to drink um you know all the beaches they wanted to lay out and be on the on the sand cars that they want to buy it's a competition with themselves and oftentimes it's a competition with the other people that you know in your in your sport that are doing it and i say testosterone is testosterone whether you're surfing or or you're birding and so those people are really um you tend to have to have some time and, your, and money to do that because if a rare bird has been reported um, and that the movie The Big Year that came out a few years ago, a rare bird is reported in you know, Point Barrel, Alaska, you have to be able to stop what you're doing, get on an airplane, and go find that bird if you're trying to do that life, that major wow. life list. Yeah. Um, the person that had the most species was a female woman, a woman named Phoebe Snetzinger. She had over 8,000 species of birds. And she ended up being killed in an accident in Madagascar years ago. Um, 
I think somebody's recently beat her record, but I, it's, it, it hasn't hit all the newspapers yet, so I don't know who it is. So, so there's that kind of bird watcher, and it's tru- truly competing with themselves. They want to go to every country and find all the different birds. Then you have people um, that love to go bird watching, like myself. I love to see birds that I've never seen before. Um, I just can appreciate a bird that comes into the area that we know has just migrated from, uh, we have a hawk that comes to California in the spring and the summer to, to have its babies. They come here, they, they spend their spring here, they find a mate, they build a nest, they lay eggs, they incubate, they raise their young, and then they all fly back to Argentina. So, okay, this is one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. And so obviously the answer is yes. I mean, is it like no matter where you live in the country or in the world, you can do bird watching just from your own house? Correct. You don't have to go out. And and I should say that's a parrot in the background. Um, um, But then there's the backyard birder. And you can look out your backyard. You can see the birds. The birds in your backyard or your front yard will rotate um, throughout the year. Some birds are resident. We see them all year long. And some birds come here for the winter. And when, as soon as the spring hits and the days get longer, they leave. See, that's so interesting to me. Like, I never knew that. And now I can guarantee you that I'm going to go and try to find out, like, which birds might be in my yard mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. that are going to be leaving soon. Well, we have two different kinds of orioles that come here to Santa Clara County, the Bay Area. They're just arriving, and so some people have them in their backyards, and they eat nectar, they eat bugs, they eat fruit, and so they're just coming here now. And they've spent the winter in um, Mexico, and some in the Caribbean, some in Central America, and now they're going to come here and have their babies, and then they'll be gone by August. So how good at bird watching do you have to be? I mean, I'm always surprised. One of my good friends, Michelle, can always say what type of dog a dog is anytime mm-hmm. she sees a dog. But there's only like 50 different types of dogs that you ever right. encounter. There's 10,000 different types of birds, and there's like just one little difference of a brown stripe here versus mm-hmm. a black stripe or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much time does it take to even know that you're looking at something special? So it's or- like you develop, um, you develop knowing the birds. It takes some time. You don't know right off the bat. Um, cars. For instance, there's the whole group of cars from the 50s. And, you know, uh, my boyfriend, when we're going down the road, he can say, oh, there's a 57 Chevy, or there's a, there's a 54 Olds. Oh, that's a 43 Ford. That's a 61, you know, Plymouth. To me, they all just look like big, <laughs> fat cars from the 50s. Yeah. But he knows, you know, theoretically, the field marks. That was the way they did the bumper that year. That's the one that had three headlights. That's the one that had the fin. A Cadillac's the only one that had the fin, yada, yada, yada. So the same thing happens with birds. That's so funny. You guys are like a perfect fit. <laughs> He's not even a birder. So, um, so you, you do. You learn the birds. You also learn the most common birds that come to your yard. Because, you know, we, we might have um, almost 2,000 species of birds in North America, but there's about 250 that come to our area of Santa Clara County. Mm-hmm. And so because that changes, you just become familiar with those birds, just like you know your friends' faces, you know you, you know, if at looking, let's say at an airport, your loved one's going to pick you up. Even if you don't see their eyes, their ears, and their nose at a distance, you still recognize them because the way they walk, the way their body shape is, their height. You just know by the impression of that person way down the terminal. It's your your aunt or your sister. Same thing with birds. You just learn. Some are tall. Some are thin. Some are squatty. Some have a long bill. Some have a short bill. 
Some are on the ground, some are at the tops of trees. You learn what their, we call it jizz, general shape impression is. Yeah. And, and that's part of the study behind it. Yeah. That was the most beautiful analogy I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life, I think. I'm like picturing my girlfriend there at the airport to pick me up. I'm like, oh, there she is. There she is. Um, so uh, if somebody wants now to try a couple of things one if somebody is thinking all right this actually sounds pretty cool this isn't the nerdiest thing in the Mm -hmm. entire world Mm -hmm. and at the very least i want to start looking at some birds in my backyard um what would be a resource that they can go to to find out what birds are in their particular area and then um do people need to get binoculars what like what type of equipment is best for someone to have so minimum binoculars are are needed at some point even um the backyard birder the backyard birder may have birding bird feeders out or not or a bird bath or just great shrubs and flowers Uh, a pair of binoculars on the windowsill is always great because you can stay in the house when you see something in your yard Um, a lot of it's just flat out awareness just to become aware that there's a bird there to see that there's some movement it's almost like a muscle in your eye that you start to develop Um, so binoculars and a field guide and for here in this area, Santa Clara, Cali, Santa, Clara, Santa Clara Valley Audubon Society is our local Audubon Society. They're in Cupertino. And what they, is Auto, Audubon? Is that like Audubon, the- Audubon is the name of the um, individual that started to study birds way back over 100 years ago. And um, to study birds back then, you, you shot them. Then you had the bird in your hand. And that is he, probably frowned upon nowadays. Uh, yeah, it, well, it depends. You know, we understand some birds do get hunted, like ducks and geese and stuff like yeah. that. But other little birds, no, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, but so with the bird in his hand, he could see every field mark on them, and then he drew them. And so that's John wow. James Audubon. And so because he was the first person to really hear in North America take the time to draw all the birds, all the Audubon societies are, are named after him in many respects. So... Santa Clara Valley Audubon is our closest, and if you were to call them, they would have a list of the most common birds found in the area. Um, Sometimes it depends. They have classes through Audubon. At um, the Los Gatos Birdwatcher, the store where you you met me, um, we have uh, field guides, charts for Bay Area birds, um, workshops, uh, Palo Alto Adult School. They have beginning birding classes, intermediate and advanced birding classes. Um, so there's those kind of resources that are out there. Once you just start sort of asking. Yeah, for sure. Is there um, the Autobahn thing? Mm-hmm. Like, is, the, is there basically one for every single geographic area yes. around the country? Mm-hmm. So, so San Mateo County is Sequoia Audubon. Santa Clara County is Santa Clara Valley Audubon. Uh, San Francisco's Golden Gate Audubon Society. And then you just go into the Central California. You've got the Central Valley Bird Club. Um, it just, every area has... The group. That and so if I'm listening to this in like Tuscaloosa, I can pull up like Tuscaloosa. And you'll get the, the Audubon Society that's closest to there. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so in terms of optics that you need to mm-hmm. make this uh, worthwhile, I guess, like what type of an investment is that that someone's... You can get a pair for $100. It, it is recommended that you get a Some people show up with the World War II binoculars that they inherited from their, you know, Uncle Bob. Yeah. And, and those don't even come close to the quality that's available today because of technology. So, but you could go and easily find a $100 pair of binoculars, 
have them in your house. Um, it's not really ideal to leave them in the car because as your car heats up in a parking lot, that's just not ideal for binoculars to sit there and heat up and cool down and heat up. But you could do that. You can get a field guide, and you're set. And, and the best thing to do is when you see a bird in your yard, you look at all the field marks on it. You know, is it red? Is it yellow? Does it have pink feet? You know, you just study the bird. And you can even write down on a piece of paper what you're noticing in the bird. And then you sit down later and look through your field guide and you eventually start connecting the dots. Okay, and, and cool. And figuring out where it goes. Um, so I have two questions. Like, here's the, the two areas that I feel like uh, bird watching would be uh, the most easy for someone to implement or, or the most interesting aspect of bird watching that I think I will probably honestly take into my own life um, is one... It, you know, I talked about surfing earlier or it, which actually that's probably not a very good example or all right, fishing, like the guy that is just waiting out into a river and standing okay. there waiting for a fish to bite yeah. while you're standing there waiting for your fish to bite. There's definitely going to be birds flying around. So yes. you might as well have kind of two interests going at once. I, um, a few weeks ago for March Madness, a good friend of mine and I, we always go to Lake Tahoe for March Madness to bet on the basketball games. And it's like my favorite weekend it's like adrenaline overload because you have uh sports bets on the basketball games and you're playing video poker and they're bringing you free cocktails and it's like there's too many good things happening at once and i feel like anybody can make any other hobby that they're already doing like that same situation with bird watching it's like just because you're already doing this other hobby there's going to be these passive times in it so might as well add bird watching into it um so now the only bummer with bird watching is birds are most active at Dawn. So good for fishing. So you have maybe to get not up really early in the yeah, morning. Yeah. So unfortunately, birds don't tend to drink too much because you can't wake up with a hangover. I'm a Chico State graduate. So yeah, yeah. I won't say anything more about that. But, um, unfortunately, alcohol and birding doesn't often go well together because you're out there in the field doing so much. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't insinuating that people should go to Harris Casino in Lake Tahoe and <laughs> like be birding out there. I like that you have bird that keep bringing you free drinks. I yeah, think that's yeah. a great idea. But or like, you know, um, let's say... What do you do with the downtime? Like, yeah, you're skiing or you're snowboarding and you decide to stop on the mountain for a little bit mm-hmm. and all of a sudden a bird flies by mm-hmm. and now you have a little bit more interesting of mm-hmm. a wrinkle. So as a birder, you're aware of the birds that are flying around. When I'm skiing and I'm on my chairlift going up to the top of the mountain, I'm seeing mountain chickadees i'm hearing mountain quail and there's clark's nutcrackers and and so i'm aware of that the people sitting on the chairlift with me don't have a clue they're oblivious to the whole thing never even saw the bird fly over Um, but there are birds everywhere and when you're birding birders will pick up rocks there goes a lizard did you check out the gecko oh let's go have fun with some banana slugs um, there's a wildflower that just popped up. Did you notice the cloud formation? I mean, we, we, we take it all in. So that's funny. So that leads me to two questions that I have. One that I have right here is, do people, do you find it very common for people that are birders to also um, catalog flowers and plants? Um, for me, because I lead birding tours, I teach and there's sometimes people say they wish I also was able to identify all the flowers and the trees and the rocks and the butterflies and the insects. Yeah, yeah. That's totally overwhelming for me. I'm for a sure. birder. But there are um, docents and naturalists, especially for mid-peninsula open space, these, these organizations around here that have all these um, uh, opportunities to get people out in nature. There, they, they will know their wildflowers and they'll know what, the, what that, you know, 
bug is over there on the ground. And so some people keep all separate lists. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Um, not everybody does that. And some of the real hardcore birders, they won't stop for anything because they're really busy trying to get that one bird and then they're going to move on to the next. So it depends on your level of intensity. And hikers get very frustrated because the hikers want to just keep walking and the birders will stop and look at a flower or look at a bird that's sitting on a fence post and it slows the hikers down. It's funny for me to even hear about the the hardcore birder that just, oh, we got to go and get this next bird because I feel like that's not the type of personality that would be drawn to birding. They're de- and that's been a, um, I've been speaking with the folks from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology out of Ithaca, New York, and that's the, that's the big birding organization for North America and the world. And um, we've been talking about men birding, women, young gals getting into birding compared to men. They've got scholarships and programs, and they find that there's more men than the women, and they, and, but yet there's more women birders. But the, but the men go after the sky. So we've been trying to figure that out. And part yeah. of it is the men compete. So yeah. whether you're trying out for the school basketball team, rugby, lacrosse, if you get into biology and birding, it's you want to be the first one that say it showed up from the Arctic. You want to be the first one that say it's here for the season. It's, it's a competition with yourself and with the other people in your group. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be more of a testosterone driven behavior and so there's that's why there's really lots of different definitions of of birders Mm -hmm. and so uh, and they're all necessary the people that are looking at birds in their backyard take that very seriously the person running over to the other county because a rare bird was reported and then people that just do tours and go out and want to see birds and also enjoy the flowers that you know it's just it encompasses everything i guess it'd be like a fly fisherman compared to a deep sea fisherman Compared to catch and release, you know, they're, they're still all fishermen. Yeah. They just get different joys out of it. Yeah, definitely. So something that, uh, I don't even know if a hobby is the right word for it, but something that I've really I've recently started doing is I've started meditating mm. every morning when I wake up um, just to have more awareness. And since I've started getting into meditation, I'm realizing how kind of en vogue it is right now yes. for it, it's um i feel like just kind of on the collective unconscious like that people want to meditate right now because mm-hmm. people want more awareness i i think with uh you know our iphones and our ipads and and just the demands of jobs nowadays your attention is split so many different ways mm-hmm. to so to have some space to calm down and just try to focus is is a really wonderful thing have you found that birding bird, the same birding, way? Yeah, yeah, well, and that that birding has changed you as a person. It, I mean, I know before this you were saying that you started birding when you were in high school, so I guess maybe it's hard to say because you're kind of developing as a person throughout that whole time, anyways. Um, but yeah, like if let's say some, or if not you, then hypothetically, if someone were to get into birding, do you do you see like a personality change? So while I, I noticed my, I got my first field guide in high school and I started taking classes much later than that, um, my business, I started it in the last decade as a very grown adult uh, without mentioning ages. Um, <laughs> the thing that happened to me with that is I became that much more aware of all the difficulty for birds. And so the average person that has never opened their mind up to the birds, birds are just something that, that poops on their car in the parking lot. It really upsets them. Yeah. 
the person that doesn't realize that that bird just flew in from Mexico or that bird just flew in from, you know, some birds show up here from Russia, they get off course or whatever, that me now being aware that, that there's, there's all this peril out there for the birds. We've created a, a really harsh environment for them between pesticides and solar panels and wind turbines and having a tree trimmer come out in April and cut your tree down and that's when the birds nest. This lack of connection between people and nature, that's what I've become more aware of in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And when people get in their car and they sit in traffic and they get to work and they go in their cube and they come out at night and they get in their car and they go home, they're completely detached from nature. Um, that's what I've become more aware of. And, and, you know, it's spring right now. The days are longer. The birds are breeding. And I, I'm just so blown away that most people just are disconnected. And the more we do our cell phones and our texting and our tweeting, a lot of young kids never even look up and see that the sky is blue. <laughs> that's what I've become. And I hate to sound negative, but I really wish that... We know what somebody, what their dress was on the red carpet the night before, but, but the fact that some wonderful thing in nature yeah. doesn't hit the news. Yeah, there could be this bird sitting in your backyard that's only there for two days. Yeah, and two it's days. Miracle it's a stopover. And... He ate in your yard. He's continuing on to Montana. Yeah. You know, so um, that's what's changed me more than anything. And, um, um, and just... Kind of, I guess not maybe, I don't know, not caring as much what people think about monetary, I don't want to say monetary things, um, things out there. I'm, I'm, I'm now more looking at just nature and, you know, open space and the trees and the connection and just appreciating that. Yeah. When I do a tour and I'm walking down a parkour with students and let's say there's a dog walker that joins us or a woman push, pushing a baby carriage. And they join us for part of the walk. And afterwards, they look at us and they always go, I had no idea. I walk this path every day and I had no idea that the birds were here. Yeah. Sure. And think about how many other things in your life that that same yeah, type of meaning be can missing. be attached to. Yeah. You know, it's... yeah. The, 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 whether you're a bird or not, people say, I saw an eagle you know, <laughs> landed on the side of yeah. 280. Yeah. And, um Big birds are impressive to people. So, all right. So, obviously, if somebody wants to um, start... Just birding tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The easiest way for them to do that would just be to grab some binoculars just wherever they're yep. at. Um, and then I think the other really cool part of the hobby is what you do. So if you could go over at your website and the tours that you take people out on, because that's a whole different side sure. of it. Sure. Well, there's also uh, the lostgaddisbirdwatcher.com. The store um, features everything for birding. We do two-hour bird walks on Saturday morning. Beginners are welcome. We do farther afield um, tours that are all day, um, usually about every other month. Everything's on the website. We do workshops in the store. Uh, we have field guides, binoculars. We have backyard bird feeding, seed, a lot of educational material, all of that. My company, Let's Go Birding, is um, I'm going to soon be owner of the Lost Gattis Bird Watcher. And, the Lost, and my company, Let's Go Birding, will be the tour division of the Lost Gattis Bird Watcher. So I just got back from Costa Rica. I took 11 people down there. We saw 300 species of birds. Um, had a fantastic time. And um, right now, since I'm ramping up to take over the store, my Let's Go Birding trips are, are we're just now trying to formulate where we're going to go in the next year, the okay. next two years. 
um, questions, Lisa at letsgobirding.com. I can answer anybody's questions on birding, where to go, point them in the right direction. So you'll have different tours planned out, mm-hmm. like let's say going to Yosemite or going mm-hmm. to Costa Rica, mm-hmm. what, you wake up early every morning and... Yeah, you get it, yeah, oh, okay, you wake up before, yeah, you wake up every morning, you bird before breakfast, then you go to breakfast, then you bird after breakfast, then you go to lunch, then yeah. you take a break, and then you bird until dinner, then you have dinner, and you go to bed, and you do it over again. So when you say bird, I, you're, you're walking the entire You're walking time. a trail, yeah. um... You're on the deck of a hotel, some fruit for the birds, and the birds come in. Um, you're looking in the canopy of the of the trees, because some birds stay up really high, yeah. or some birds walk at the jungle floor really low. Yeah. You know, it's another thing about birding. It's like hunting without a gun. You're, you're out there, and you can hear it. You know it's there. And then it's score. You get that adrenaline rush. You've yeah. been looking for this bird. You know it's only found in this jungle. You're only going to be here for two days, and you found it. And you just get an adrenaline rush out of that. It's exciting. You didn't hurt anybody. You got to see it. It may be a really hard-to-see bird, so there's some satisfaction in that. Um, I do my tours depending on where the birds are going to be, you know, different areas, different times of the year. Um, In the winter, we go to the Central Valley, and we see the geese, the swans, the cranes, and the ducks that are here from the Arctic. They're all leaving now. They're all gone. So we won't see them again until the fall. And so all of our locations are... Where we go are based on what we know will be there at that time of year. You're going for only the most exciting and awesome. Usually of- that's what we do. Cool. So if that's what you want, you can go to Let's Go Birding to talk to Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want something, if you're, if you're a little bit more of a, a homebody, then you can just buy some binoculars and yep. look in your backyard. Yep. Um, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.